All right, the kingdom expected by the prophets. It must be significant that the kingdom of God is the substance of the very first thing said about Jesus, even before his birth. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Luke 1, verses 32 and 33. This announcement by the angel Gabriel came as no surprise as a description of the role of Messiah. What the angel promised was exactly what the faithful were hoping for. If we ask what had prompted this hope, the answer is simply the message of all the prophets. The recurrent theme of the Hebrew prophets is that the kingdom of God will be established throughout the world with a rehabilitated Jerusalem as its capital and the Messiah as God's agent administering an ideal world government. This promise of perfect government on earth receives the fullest treatment by the Hebrew prophets of the Old Testament. We may cite as typical of their vision of the future, a selection from the numerous passages describing the reign of the promised descendant of David in a renewed earth. The expected world empire would be God's kingdom administered for him by his unique representative and vice-regent, the Messiah. The fact of the future kingdom promised by the prophets is well known to standard authorities on biblical theology. I quote one, a constant feature in the eschatological picture of the Old Testament is Israel's restoration to its own land. The question how in our day we are to interpret such prophecies is a double one. It's a question first of what the prophets meant. To this question, there can be but one answer. Their meaning is the literal sense of their words. They spoke of the people of Israel and of the land of Canaan and predicted the restoration of the people to their land. There is no question as to the meaning of the Old Testament prophecies. The question is how far this meaning is now valid. That's from the article on eschatology in the Hastings Dictionary of the Bible. The real question, however, is whether we are prepared to believe the prophets. What the prophets predicted is clear. The problem is that churches do not believe what they wrote. Compare Acts 26, verse 27, where Paul challenged Agrippa with the question, do you believe the prophets? A throne will even be established in loving kindness and a judge, an administrator, will sit on it in faithfulness in the tent of David. Moreover, he will seek justice and be prompt in righteousness. That's Isaiah 16, verse 5. The simplicity of the concept is well captured by the same verse as translated by the Good News Bible. Then one of David's descendants will be king, and he will rule the people with faithfulness and love. He will be quick to do what is right, and he will see that justice is done. What the prophet saw was a vision of utopian conditions on earth. Following the conquest of the world by Yahweh, the Lord God, 
acting through his chosen agent, the promised king. The Lord of hosts will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem. That's Isaiah 24, verse 23. He, the Messiah, will speak peace to the nations and his dominion will be from sea to sea and from the river Euphrates to the ends of the earth. Zechariah 9, verse 10. Obadiah describes the supremacy of Israel in the coming messianic rule. The community of Jacob will regain territory from those who took it from them. They will recover the Negev from Mount Esau and Shephelah from the Philistines. They will regain the region of Ephraim and Gilead. The exiles of the people of Israel will annex Canaanite territory as far as Zarephath. The exiles who were in Sepharad will reclaim the Negev towns. Then governors will go up to Mount Zion to govern Mount Esau, and the kingdom will be the Lord's. Obadiah 17 to 21. Evidently, the kingdom of God is to be a new political and territorial order with its headquarters in the promised land of Israel. This is the unanimous view of all the prophets. Jeremiah too had recorded the words of the Lord promising national restoration for Israel under the Messiah. Quote, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I shall raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. That's in Jeremiah 23, verses 5 and 6. Isaiah's and Micah's vision is no less clearly defined with the additional guarantee of multilateral disarmament under the government of the Messiah. Quote, a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his, that's to say the promised deliverer, the Messiah's shoulders. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The law will go forth from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, and he will judge between the nations and will render decisions for many peoples and they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation and never again will they train for war. That's in Isaiah 9, verse 6 and 7, Isaiah 2, verses 3 and 4, and Micah chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. One of the clearest descriptions of the kingdom of God appears in Daniel 2, verse 44. Following the destruction of hostile world powers, I quote, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom, clearly here a world empire, which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms but it will itself endure 
forever. In Daniel 7, the same promised kingdom is to be administered by the Son of Man. That was Jesus' favorite self-designation and his followers, God's chosen people. And to him, the Son of Man was given a dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Then the power and greatness of all kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the supreme God. Their royal power will never end, and all rulers on earth will serve and obey them. Daniel 7, verses 14, 27, from the Good News Bible. The revolution associated with the Messiah's installment in his kingdom is described by Zechariah. The Lord will go forth and fight against those nations, and in that day the Lord will be king over all the earth. Then it will come about that any who are left of all the nations that went against Jerusalem will go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts. Zechariah 14 verses 3, 9, and 16. These and many other passages in the prophets demonstrate beyond dispute that the kingdom of God will be a new world order on a renewed earth administered by the Messiah, God's chosen king, assisted by a group of associates called in Daniel the saints of the Most High. Daniel 7 verse 27. The picture of a restored earth is common to all the prophets. It is the basis of the messianic hope summed up by the term kingdom of God. The national hope of Israel, of which the Christian apostle Paul was fully supportive, as in Acts 24 verse 14 and 15, and Acts 26 verses 5 to 8, had been described vividly and brilliantly by the great 8th century BC prophet Isaiah. Paul was convinced that the Christian gospel had been revealed in advance of the coming of Christ to the prophets of Israel. Romans 1 verses 1 and 2, 16 verse 25 and 6, Galatians 3 verse 8, and Titus 1 verse 2. Any severing of the gospel from its revelation in the Old Testament scriptures leads to a disastrous misunderstanding. When Paul writes about the gospel, he assumes that his readers know the background to the gospel in the Old Testament. In our times, however, most readers approach the letters of Paul without that indispensable grasp of what the prophets meant by the gospel. A number of key passages in the prophets were recognized as testimonies to the restoration of sound government to Israel, the reinstatement of the monarchy of Israel in the person of the promised descendant of David, the Messiah. If the throne of David were not to reappear in Israel with the Messiah as king, the whole Old Testament revelation would dissolve into pious legend, if not fraud. Isaiah employs the verb to preach the gospel, the good news, in a number of passages. Go up onto a high mountain, Zion, herald of glad tidings, 
cry out at the top of your voice, Jerusalem, herald of good news. Fear not to cry out and say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. Here comes with power the Lord God, who rules by his strong arm. Here is his reward with him, his recompense before him. Like a shepherd, he feeds his flock. In his arms, he gathers the lambs. Therefore, on that day, my people shall know my renown, that it is I who have foretold it. Here I am. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who brings glad tidings, announcing salvation and saying to Zion, your God is king. Hark, your watchmen raise a cry. Together they shout for joy, for they see directly before their eyes the Lord restoring Zion. Break out together in song, O ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord comforts his people. He redeems Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm in the sight of all the nations. All the ends of the earth will behold the salvation of our God. That's in Isaiah 40, verses 9 to 11, and 52, verses 6 through 10. Jesus saw himself in the role of the preacher of this good news. At his inaugural speech in Luke 4, verses 18 and 19, he quoted Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. Quote, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring glad tidings to the lowly, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, and to announce a year of favor, as to say the ultimate jubilee, from the Lord. Jesus appropriately ended the quotation at this point, but Isaiah's prediction takes in the future and final fulfillment of these words, a day of vindication by our God. Christianity as preached by Jesus is a confirmation of this sublime vision of the future of our world. Jesus was empowered at his first coming to heal and restore on a small scale only. The vast majority of the world remained in darkness. At his second coming, his Parousia, he will inaugurate a worldwide restoration as announced by Peter in Acts 3.21. Unfortunately, the church, under the influence of pagan Greek philosophy, gradually lost its grip on the prophet's grand proclamation of the kingdom as a world government under the supervision of the immortalized Messiah. That promise of the good time coming was replaced by a pale, mystical and vague prospect of disembodied existence in heaven at death. The collapse of the original Christian hope based on the teaching of Christ and the prophets of Israel is traceable to the interpretative techniques, a term is too polite, of such church fathers as Origen and Augustine, who explained away the plain meaning of the biblical text. The Bible provided in the Revelation climactic prophecy of the kingdom to which the rest of Scripture had looked forward. Augustine, however, chose to allegorize the statements of Revelation and apply them to the history of the church, thus destroying the future and moving it into the present. 
The thousand years is not to be construed literally, but represents the whole history of the church from the incarnation to the final conflict. The reign of the saints is a prophecy of the domination of the world by the church now. The resurrection is metaphorical and simply refers to the spiritual resurrection of the believer in Christ now. But such exegesis is dishonest trifling. To put such an interpretation on the phrase first resurrection, Revelation 20 verse 6, is simply playing with terms. If we explain away the obvious meaning of the words, then as Henry Alford says, there's an end to all significance in language and scripture is wiped out as a definite testimony to anything. That's from Peake's commentary on the Bible. Such is the tragic loss of the biblical vision and hope, tirelessly promoted as the kingdom of God gospel preached by Jesus and his successors, Luke 4 verse 43, Acts 8 verse 12, 19 verse 8, 20 verses 24 to 25, and 28 verses 23 and 31. Well did Alford say of the words of Revelation 1 verse 3, blessed is the one reading and those who hear the words of this prophecy and preserve what is written in it for the time is near. These words are a solemn rebuke to the practice of the Church of England which omits, with one or two exceptions, the whole book of Revelation from her public reading. That's from Henry Alford's commentary on the Greek New Testament.